Hi, and welcome to NANCAST. I'm Jill, your host. Respiratory therapists are the unsung heroes of the medical world and often are underappreciated or even not well-known, but their efforts do not go unnoticed by NICU nurses. Nearly all newborns run the risk of respiratory difficulties at birth, according to the March of Dimes. Those born prematurely often have breathing problems due to underdeveloped lungs, but full-term babies can also develop respiratory issues from a difficult labor and delivery, birth defects, or infection. Respiratory care in the NICU, in collaboration with other medical disciplines, can reduce length of hospital stay, as well as lower risk of long-term disability. Neurodevelopmental outcomes for our babies is so important, and it really is our focus when at the bedside. Respiratory therapists play a crucial role in this as well. To discuss this collaboration, as well as challenges in respiratory care, please welcome respiratory therapist Kim Gebla. Kim has been a respiratory therapist for over 13 years in Helen DeVos Children's Hospital Gerber Foundation NICU in Grand Rapids, Michigan. There, not only does she work in the Level 4 NICU, she also attends deliveries and neonatal transports. Let's get right into it. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am very excited to have a respiratory therapist on NANCAST. Um, I think you guys are tremendous in what you do. Um, but for those that aren't fortunate enough to have a respiratory therapist in their NICU 24-7, can you give us an idea of what a typical day is for you as a respiratory therapist in your NICU? Yep. Thanks a lot for having me, Jill. My typical day in the NICU probably um, involves getting to work and getting report as we all do in the morning. Um, we all get different assignments. There's usually on a typical day, there's probably about four respiratory therapists that work in the neonatal ICU. Um, we're lucky enough to have a transport person who will be in-house with us unless they go pick up a baby at an outlying hospital. So we all get different assignments that entail either different ends of the unit um, we also have a small baby unit within our neonatal ICU. Some of us get um, assigned deliveries. And there are a couple of satellite labs as well in which we run our, our CBGs and ABGs. So those also go to an assignment. So we all have different assignments and we get report and pretty much hit the ground running on a typical morning. So um, the small babies unit that you have in your NICU, um, are those respiratory therapists um, just working with a small population of babies less than, what, what is yours, 27 weeks? And what, how are they utilized in the small baby unit? So we are one of the few neonatal centers in the country that has a designated, designated space within our NICU for babies that are born less than 27 weeks. And typically they weigh less than two pounds. So our small baby unit is designed specifically to meet um, the medically complex needs of these babies. And the staff that work in this area have received extensive training in the complex care of these very fragile babies. So there are a select number of us respiratory therapists that have specific training. And we tend to get into that small baby unit a little more frequently. Um, and then there are those of us who really enjoy it and like to get in there more often as well. Yeah, I think that's the the trend now is, you know, the the centers that have a lot of um, premature baby deliveries, they 
are creating these small baby units where, you know, every all the care is focused and everybody has that extensive training because we all know how fragile these babies are, right? And, um, you know, the littlest things that we do when any kind of overstimulation we give them, the detrimental effects, you know, neuro, neurodevelopmentally that, that can occur. Right. I know um, we, um, on our unit, we've designed a whole IVH uh, prevention bundle and we couldn't do what we do without the help of our respiratory therapists. Um, they're actively involved in all aspects of our IVH prevention bundle. And, you know, I I can't commend respiratory enough how they really, you know, took on that role to, to help us with that. And I, I, I think a lot of times we always think of the bedside nurse, you know, always at the bedside and always doing care for these babies. But there's so many hands that touch those little guys, uh, and especially respiratory. So how do you, um, in the small baby unit, how do you collaborate with the nurses to like ensure that neurodevelopmental care and to ensure that, you know, they're not getting overly stimulated and, and create that neuroprotective environment? Well, um, you know, typically back in the day, there used to be care times. They'd be an eight and a two or a nine and a three. And I think what we're getting more toward, um, which actually we started with our small baby unit is Q-based care. And our small babies, um, we pretty much just watch the cues. And so we go in when they are awake and the nurses will contact the respiratory therapist. And that's when we go in and we um, do our containment. Um, each of us has certain things that maybe we wanna do with this little patient. Um, little tasky things that need to get done, but they don't always get done all in one one visit. So um, we watch their cues. We're careful not to overdo or overstimulate. Um, we use containment. Um, another thing in our small baby unit specifically is that it's very dark, or I shouldn't say dark. It's actually just dim and quiet. Um, so it's funny because we call the small baby unit, the, the rooms, we kind of jokingly call them the wombs. Um, but it, it is interesting to see how a lot of what started out is just our small baby unit care with a Q-based and has somewhat carried over into the, re the rest of the neonatal um, unit, even with the bigger babies now, um, with painful procedures, um, heel pokes to get gases, CPAP care. Um, we still, we've, we've started integrating two-person care with that, with bigger babies as well. That's great. I know. I, I think a lot of times we get focused on our tasks. Like you said, like finish the tasks at hand. And mm -hmm. we had that, you know, oh, everybody gets done every three hours with feedings and I mm -hmm. must suction. And even though yep. you listen and there's, you know, you don't hear anything, but I got a suction because that's part of my care. So it's a hard yep. shift and a, and a culture change. But I, I think nurses are finally starting to get it. You know, we don't need to suction yeah. every single time. We do care. Exactly. But. And we, and a lot of, we're even using BBGs probably most of the time now. We're not using, we're not deep suctioning anymore. It's just BBG if they need it. Exactly. I know. And it, but it's trying to get those people that are so used to doing it one way to, to make the change. Yeah. I love, I love how your small baby management transferred over to, to the big kids and the term kids and, yeah. the, and the other kids that are there. That's great. It is neat. With, um, the small baby units, I know, um, we try to encourage kangaroo care, skin to skin, but I know a lot of times nurses are fearful of getting the baby out um, of their isolate and when they're on, you know, the oscillator, the jet, conventional ventilator, um, 
even CPAP. Um, and I, I think that kind of that fear stops um, nurses from offering that or, you know, because they're, you know, it's a lot of work to get a baby out um, for, for the parents to hold. But, you know, the the outcome is so rewarding. But as a respiratory therapist, what are your um, tips or how do you help the nurse do that and make that successful transfer so we can have that much needed skin to skin time and bonding with the parents? Well, um, first, I love skin to skin. I always make sure that um, when I, I touch base with my nurse first thing in the shift, I always say, especially if a baby's on a jet or an oscillator, I will say, hey, if when you talk to the parents today, find out if they're coming in, what time they're coming in, so that we can have everything done with this baby, even fate with the um, the circuit on the proper side, so that when they get here, they can they can hold for as long as they need to hold. Some parents are on kind of a time crunch. They might have children at home. Um, but yeah, I love it. Um, I always let the parents know how important um, the skin to skin is, um, that they are the only ones who can provide the special therapy for their, their baby. And that's exactly what it is. It's a therapy. It um, reaps so many benefits for both, you know, and I say mom and dad both because we have dads hold a lot, probably not as often as moms. I think sometimes they're a little more nervous, but there's just so many neurological benefits to the baby um, and the mom if she's breastfeeding for milk production. Um, so we really highly encourage it. I let the nurse know that I'm um, if we collaborate and she can kind of give me a heads up, I try to make myself available and I come in with a smile um, because sometimes, you know, we have to get up from the, our lunch break because they're there on our, but I just walk in with a smile and I try to remember that what they're going through with having a baby in the NICU is, um, it's just so different from like a parent who can bring their baby home and hold them all day long. So, um, we want to make it, um, not seem like a chore and it's not, but we don't want them to feel that way because sometimes, um, I sense from parents that they don't want to put us out. And if their baby's on a jet or an oscillator, it does take a team of about four to five people. It takes a couple of respiratory therapists, and it takes at least two or three nurses. Uh, but we do it over and over again, and we've got it pretty much pretty down pat. So, um, yeah, it's a big thing. We do it in the SBU all the time, and of course, out in the regular unit, we probably the babies are um, you know a little larger, conventional vents more so, and most are CPAP and NIPPV. But um, and our nurses do it on their own with CPAP and NIPPV. I think it's just like you said parents do feel like, oh my God, they see us doing it. They see what goes into it. And I do think there's a little bit of hesitation to ask to, to put us out. But once they do it, I, I they fall in love with it. And it's, you know, and, and, yeah. and we see how, what the effects are of it. And, you know, like you yeah. said, just get it scheduled. Like I love the word collaboration with the nurses. Like you figure out what time the nurse, the parents are coming so you guys can schedule um, a date, yeah. a kangaroo care date. Um, and, and then you yeah. can um, be there for the parents when, when they're there. Um, all, to, all too often, we control we control time for these poor babies and when a parent can do this and when a parent can't do that. Um, and, I, and I love that, that you guys are, are collaborating together and including those parents yeah. and, and finding a time that works best. And, um, and just kind of put their needs on the front burner. I mean, as you know, in a unit, anything can happen. And there are times we have, I have parents that are waiting for me. But for the most part, I try to do everything I can to um, put them on the front burner. And, and I do let them know another thing, too, we try to tell them is when they come in, um, we do ask that they minimally hold for one hour. 
and they can hold as long as they want. I've had, and the reason for the one hour is because of the transition of getting the baby out of the isolate onto the parent. They really start reaping the benefits of skin to skin after that, you know, after like a half hour or so. Um, but we've had parents, I had one dad who held literally from like four o'clock in the afternoon until 7am the next morning because he was trying to like break the record. <laughs> so, but parent, but most parents hold for a few hours. So how do you manage the skin to skin, uh, with a baby on an oscillator with that heavy tubing? So what do what are some trip tricks and tips that you have, um, for respiratory, standpoint as far as managing the tubing and securing everything to make sure that, um, you know, there's no extubation or anything like that. Okay. Well, when we have a baby on an oscillator, it takes two respiratory therapists. Um, one will hold the ET tube in the circuit. The other one actually turns the oscillator as we're moving the baby. So then you have a nurse that has the baby, usually a second nurse that may have some of the lines, and then a third nurse is kind of just um, kind of a troubleshooter, maybe silencing the alarms, if we have any cords that snag on something along the way. And also we have a special chair that we use with our oscillator. And it has, um, it goes, the feet go up and the head goes back and the chair actually goes up and down. So it's, and we have a remote control for it. So um, the parents in the chair and I literally, and of course the circuit, you want to make sure you get all the, all the, uh, we all know how they get a lot of condensation. So make sure there's no water in the circuit. Baby doesn't get a drink. And um, it's just the respiratory therapist is typically the one who everybody gets ready. And then we're the ones that are usually, okay, is everybody ready? Okay, one, two, three, go. Because we have the ET tube. <laughs> so we're kind of the boss. And I do yes. get a little bit bossy. <laughs> but I think the parent also, when they watch all of the collaboration and they see that we everybody has a role. And I think that puts them at ease. And it usually takes a couple times of them holding on the oscillator. And then they start to feel very comfortable with it. We have parents that come in every day and hold when their baby's on an oscillator or a jet. So, but it does, it, it actually took training. Everybody went through training where they actually did a skin to skin sim simulation with a doll. And the parents, or we actually had employees get in the chair and pretend that they were mom or dad. So it felt, we, we got to feel what it, what it would be like when you're the parent and how, how weird that feels when everybody's kind of in your face, you know, yeah, and, and because I'm, around I'm you securing and... this. Yeah. It's a big deal. It's scary. And, um, I usually will use a combination of like posies and we have clips. So I kind of have my little tricks and tips for how I do it. And I pretty much have it down pat at like the angle of the chair and it, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And everybody, there are other respiratory therapists that are great at it too. And they do it a little, little differently than me as far as securing the circuit. So. It always amazes me to watch respiratory manipulate the arms and, and everything and how they can <laughs> secure tubing in two seconds where I'm struggling, trying to get it to look right. And they're like, oh, this is how you do yeah. it. And you're like, oh, you make it look yeah. so easy. It's just like we have with everything and you guys are good at other things that we can't do. So it's, it's what you get used to. That's why, like I said, respiratory is my favorite people in the unit. We rely on Aww. you guys so much. Um, and I, I, I think that collaborations are really important um, with the nurses, but I also see a lot of collaboration, too, um, with respiratory and the healthcare team, too, mm -hmm. the medical team. And, you know, uh, 
you guys are a great wealth of knowledge. And I love when I see the doctors and the NPs asking respiratory, hey, like, this is the gas. Like, what would you do? And it's mm-hmm. such a, a good multidisciplinary effort, you know, to take care of these these babies. Yeah. So we're lucky. Yeah, I mean, we, we like to feel needed, too. <laughs> well, you're the expert, I mean, at, at all of that. And, you know, I, I don't even think some of the residents even really understand the true workings of, of an oscillator or a jet. So it's it's really important that everybody talks. Um, respiratory, I, I mean, most units respiratory is involved in, in a rounds, patient rounding, um, to get their input, you know, as well. Yeah, I think I think that collaboration with other practices within our unit is 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 very crucial. I think that all of us bring our own unique knowledge and insight to like the patient's experience. Um, I think coordinating care with the bedside RN for as far as respiratory for me and the NICU is probably like my number one um, re- like in unit relationship. Um, but then communicating with like the neonatologist, the NNPs. Um, physical therapist. I love doing care with a physical therapist. Um, a lot of times when I do CPAP care, they'll come by and say, Hey, do you mind if I contain, will you do CPAP care? I want to see how this baby responds. Um, maybe they want to see if they're ready to move them out of the small baby unit into like the big baby area. Um, and then we do light transitioning one per, then they'll, maybe they go from two person care to one person care just for regular care stuff like diaper changes and whatnot. So the, our, the physical therapist, um, I learned so much from our physical therapist. I love them. They teach me how to tuck babies in the appropriate way. Um, and I love doing that. I, when I'm all done with my care and the nurse will be like, oh, you can just leave them there. I'll get them all tucked in. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I can do this <laughs> because Jason taught me how. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, love, um, I love working with everybody. Like I said, I think collaborating across specialties can really benefit um, the babies. It can benefit their families. Um, it's easier said than done. And we are, we are a work in progress still in our unit. But it's um, at least we're aware of it and we're, we're working on it. Yeah. And, and, you know, we we talk about the multi roles where you some people are of respiratory are, are running CVGs and AVGs. But, you know, you play an active role in the delivery room, too, um, and are big, big leaders in uh, neonatal resuscitation down in the DR. You're the ones that are there, um, you know, at those crucial moments um, at delivery. Um, so, you know, that's a whole other collaboration that you're working with at the medical team, the OB and, and I, I like it when I have deliveries there, the other day I had deliveries and I, I will admit, I think within a few hours I had two or three deliveries. And so I missed a lot of my morning. Um, the nurses had to do CPAP care with each other that morning, but, um, I like having deliveries. I feel like, um, you know, some of these babies come up, up to our unit on CPAP. And um, at other times, on, for the sicker babies, we get to be a part of the intubation. We don't actually intubate. The respiratory therapists at our hospitals don't actually intubate. But we are a part of, like, the neonatal team. Um, maybe surfact, we do some surfactant administration. And we bring the babies back up to our NICU in an isolate that has the ventilator attached to it. And once we get there, um, another respiratory therapist is meeting us up there. And they're ready with the appropriate equipment to transfer the baby over to. 
So um, I love having deliveries though. And when I look at that delivery board and I try to see, okay, this is what I have for today. And you never know when that pager is going to go off. Nope. Uh-uh. <laughs> and it's always, you have a sense of, con- like as a nurse that goes down to deliveries, when there's a certain respiratory therapist working, you're like, okay, everything is going to yeah. be okay. I know they <laughs> are on and, you know, we'll be, we'll be fine. Um, yeah, we think the same thing when we see, <laughs> I'm sure. yeah, when we see you guys and we're like, oh, okay, who's, who's on deliveries today? Respiratory is also without a lot of challenges. Um, and I know one of the challenges that every NICU faces, um, not all, if you're lucky, um, is unplanned extubations. I know it's something that every unit is tracking um, and they want to try to make uh, improvements on their numbers. Um, what are your thoughts on unplanned extubations and what is your unit doing to prevent them? Okay, well, I feel like within our unit, actually, we've been doing really well. Um, I can't recall that we've had, a, especially when you look at how much skin-to-skin and apparent holding we do within our unit, um, I think we're doing a great job. I think probably, I mean, a, a lot of times it, when a baby grabs a tube and pulls, sometimes it's out of our control. But for the most part, I think um, what I like to do is, um, first of all, when the, when the bedside RNs have report in the morning, the night shift and the day, the day shift, they do look at that ET tube. They look at the um, tape integrity, the integrity of the tape, and they look at, they measure it. And then I come in after the night shift nurse is gone and the, and we kind of um, have a conversation. We also look at the ET tube. So now we've had two nurses, a respiratory therapist, we've all looked at it. And if that tube looks like it's not measuring appropriately or the tape looks questionable, you know, baby's been maybe throwing up or uh, drooly, we make the decision to retape it. Um, lot, something we've been trying to utilize more in our, our unit is neobars. And we have kind of a mixed um, census of there's those who do not like them at all. And other people like me, who absolutely love neobars. And but not every baby is appropriate to, to use a neobar on. Um, they have to have enough, I guess, enough uh, flesh on their face. And a lot of the babies in the small baby unit are so tiny and their skin kind of slides back and forth. But, but I, I mean, they make them in such a wide range of sizes now that we could probably use them more than what we do. And I try to. So, and what is your yeah, trick I mean, on what is your trick on getting the neo the neo bars to stay on a preemie's face with humidity? Do you have a a, a trick hard. for that? <laughs> well, the only thing that I have done that's worked, and it doesn't work with every baby, and sometimes I just have to make that judgment call that I'm not going to be able to do my neo bar. But after we get it on, first of all, it's super important to measure it appropriately. Um, a lot of people, after it's placed, and if you look at it, it's actually going above the upper lip. So it's actually caught, if you use a neobar correctly, it should be a straight shot right down the back of the airway. It should not be touching the gum, the palate. It should be literally just corner to corner of the the mouth. But a lot of times, unfortunately, it's hard to do that if you're not used to putting a neobar on. And after you're done and you look at it, it's actually above the upper lip. So it's probably causing more of a, um, it's going to, you know, leave a little bit of a groove in the gum and it might be rubbing on the palate. So the the way that you um, apply the neobar is probably the first thing. Secondly, is it going to adhere to the cheeks? Because like you said, there's a lot of humidity. And what I do, a lot of times it looks great at first. And then literally 15 minutes later, I look and one of the corners is already lifting. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I have been using um, Tegaderm. 
and I just take a tegaderm and these babies are so little, like you can literally cut it in half, like a rectangle, like from end to end. And then I kind of crisscross it on the, on over the pad Mm. so that it's actually catching skin, a little bit of skin on the top and the bottom, just to kind of hold that pad down a little stronger. And I have found that for the most part, that seems to work pretty good. And if for some reason it doesn't and it starts to lift, we just go back to the old way. <laughs> the tape. Yeah. But There's so I, uh, many devices. I like it when the nurse is tr- If the nurse wants to try it with me, um, I like that. So. Yeah. I know you always have the OG nurses that love their tape and refuse to try the um, all the devices that are out there. But like, like I, I really think, like you said, knowing how to put it on correctly is half the battle. And if you can put it on right, it, it should work. So you just have to have a conversation with the bedside nurse. You guys got to know that you're both doing the same thing and how it's, you know, because someone's holding the tube and someone's placing the neobar. So if you have that conversation before everything is untaped, that's a good thing. (laughs) How everything is secure is so important um, for prevention of unplanned extubations. And I, I think that's the thing that we focus on the most is is that tube secure? And then I said earlier how you guys are magicians in securing the tubing and making sure that everything, um, you know, isn't pulling uh, when we have our babies, um, you know, all snug up in um, their isolates. So that's also really important because no one wants to be that nurse that is the one that has an <laughs> unplanned extubation. You know, everybody know. has their, their quality metrics boards um, in their unit and then they see that number pop up and everybody wants to know who did it, who did it, whose nurse, what nurse was it? I know, who was uh, on? <laughs> yeah, and you don't want to be that nurse. So I, I love I to hear what other units do um, to prevent unplanned extubations. And we don't just check it in the morning. We check it throughout the shift. We'll check it several times. We check it before we do skin to skin. We check it again before we put baby back to bed. I have actually retaped a tube while baby has been on on the parent. Oh, wow. Um, literally in, in, a rec- in a recliner. Um, tube was loose. We, uh, the nurse was saying, well, I think we need to put him back. The tube looks loose. And I was said, Actually, it's probably safer just to do it right on. It, we actually did it right on Dad. Oh yeah, because trying. And to she, you should have seen. The, you should have seen the look I got. <laughs> and then we actually just rolled baby onto her back, and Dad contained. So he, she was laying on her back on Dad's chest, and we both of us got down. We were pretty much on our knees doing this tape job, <laughs> and it was done. And he was able to turn her back over on her belly and finish skin to skin. Wow. So, and I felt better because we weren't transferring her back to bed with a loose tube. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. God, I, I've been a NICU nurse for a very long time, and I still get nervous every time I have to retape a tube. Every time. Mm-hmm. So it's like one I of the, my most fearful things to do in the NICU is to retape, a, retape an ET tube. So I know. You know that's why and we I, should have a healthy, it should be a healthy fear because a lot of these tubes aren't in very deep. No, no. Um, <laughs> and it's not like you said, like sl- the smallest little movement can really make or break uh, tube positioning for these kids. So that's why it's really important um, that we are constantly checking uh, tube placement. Right. And, and the collaboration, again, we go back to collaboration. That's that's why yeah. um, we have to have a good relationship with our respiratory therapists on the unit. Yeah, I know. I mean, I've had nurses call me in and just say, hey, what do you think? And then I look and we decide, oh, it looks good. So it, it is nice just to get a second set of eyes. Another challenge that we're facing with non-invasive ventilation that's um, being used way more frequently, like uh, CPAP, NIPPV, 
We're seeing a lot of skin breakdown using different interfaces. And a lot of um, kids, we have that challenge of trying to minimize any kind of leaks that we're finding with these babies with the prongs or the mask or whatever interface um, that we're using. Do you have any tips or advice to minimize these challenges we face with the kids um, on non-invasive ventilation? Yeah, actually, we um, are we have a, a skin kind of a skin expert team. And we have really started watching very closely because we did go through a time where we were noticing that we were getting more breakdown than what we'd ever had before. So we kind of took a step back and tried to see what are we doing, what were we doing before, like what what has changed, um, and what can we do to better the process. And I think myself personally, and and there's a lot of respiratory therapists, I feel like we are doing non-invasive on more and more babies that are younger rather than having them intubated. So therefore their skin is so much more fragile than a baby. Like for example, a 24 weeker on CPAP versus a 32 weeker. You're going to really have a lot more breakdown to watch for. So what we started doing in our unit, and it's not easy and it takes, this is where a lot of collaboration comes in. Um, and it takes a lot of extra time and effort is we, um, First of all, we try to fit them with prongs if possible so that we are alternating back and forth between a mask and prongs. Not all the small babies fit into prongs. We have a variety of different sizes, and believe it or not, sometimes the smallest prongs are too close together. The diameter is perfect, but they're too close together. And then you go to the next size, and now the spread is perfect, but the diameter is too big. You know what I mean? So you're getting, like, they won't fit in their nostrils. Yeah, it's like you wish they had a si- the, the size in between. So we try prongs. So what we do is we do a lot of communicating with each other. Like I'll try prongs and I'll say, okay, the 3520s were too, too close together. This size, she's not going to fit into probably for several days. But we try every couple days. And so then they, we, get a, we get a mask-to-mask order. We have to get an order to go mask-to-mask. And we put Duoderm on the bridge. And then we put a little T on their filtrum and their septum. And we leave the duoderm on for three days. So every three days, or as needed, we switch out their duoderm on their bridge and the duoderm on their filtrum and septum. Um, and that has prevented. And, and then we also took another step further. We go in and do CPAP, kind of not full care, but we do two full CPAP cares every six hours. But then at Q3, we just go in and we f- go back and forth from mass to prongs. So if a baby's been on a mask and it's coming up on three hours, we will, as non-invasively as we can, now we're not going to do a full care time, literally go in there, undo the straps, switch it from mask to prongs, and put it back down. And then three hours after that, we do kind of our full care time. When they wake up, it will do suctioning if needed, wiping, and then we'll switch back to a mask. So they're alternating back and forth so that you're not the mat, the device isn't sitting on the same pressure point for six hours. It's being switched back and forth every three hours. But again, that's, that's a lot harder than what we thought it was going to be because it takes a lot of collaboration. It feels like you just get all your babies done and it's time to go in and switch them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so much better for their lungs and it has yeah. decreased, you know, our BPD rates, but you know, everything that's positive always has to have a little bit of negative. But I, I feel like it's really, it's really, really helped. Um, I see, I think our skin breakdown, we're so much more aware of it. And if we take the duoderm or we see anything that looks weird, we call in our skin experts. Sometimes we take pictures of it 
And then there are times when we, we say, okay, let's not use the duoderm on the herbridge. Let's, we want to watch this. So we're going to use Mepilox. So then we'll put Mepilox on, which is more of a spongy. And then we'll change the Mepilox out every care time because it tends to hold moisture. But that enables us to peel it off, look at it, and put a new dry one on. So we do kind of have a written policy on how we follow. They wrote a policy for us that we oh, actually that's follow. That's great. Mm-hmm. And with the... Um- with the duoderm on like the septum, the septum mm-hmm. area, you find that that doesn't interfere with fit or anything um, with the prongs. Since if you cut it right, it doesn't. <laughs> but I am not a very crafty person, and so when I have a nurse who tells me that she'll cut the duoderm for me, I'm like, I I'm so happy. I hate cutting that. I can cut the one on the bridge, but the one on the filter, that little teeth, yes. because uh-huh. if you have that too wide, it does. It goes over the exactly. nares. Exactly. Yeah. So, and again, with moisture, there's times I take their mask off and the, and I see it sliding across their philtrum. And so then I just put a new piece on, but it, it is this, this whole, this whole process, it's, um, very beneficial, but it definitely takes a lot more, um, you know, work with, with the nurses and the respiratory therapist, but it's worth it. Yeah. And let's hope, you know, now that the, there seems to be a movement towards this and this is going to be our treatment, um, hopefully those companies out there can start developing and creating things that'll be a little bit more um, easy to uh, secure and pr- protect skin. Um, and maybe they'll decide to size their prongs a little bit better for these. I hope these so, because we, we've had a, we've had a couple of very tiny little babies that have had breakdown and we have actually alternated between high flow and CPAP just to give them a break from like the, the nasal or the CPAP interface. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you want nurses to know how to improve our teamwork and collaboration with respiratory therapy? Um, I want nurses to recognize that, that we can be friends, that we, even though we aren't, we wear different color scrubs, that we are actually on the same team. <laughs> so, um, so just, I'm asking for maybe an open mind to having the input of a respiratory therapist at the bedside. And sometimes that might mean a different perspective, but just remember that we're all working toward the same goal. So I love my job. I think a lot of respiratory therapists probably, I can maybe be speaking, you know, I got to speak on behalf of my other RT peeps out there. Um, But I I think we all love what we do and we all want to have better collaboration amongst all the practices in our unit. Um, for those of us who specifically work in, um, in the neonatal world, I, I think just watching the transformation of these tiny little patients over the period of weeks and sometimes even months and forming relationships and trust with family members, um, that's something I love. Um, I love working with nurses to help parents understand what is happening with their premature babies while they're in the NICU. I am learning a lot, too, from the bedside nurse. It's not that we know everything. I, I learn a lot of stuff from the nurses, probably more than anybody else in the unit. Um, I love doing skin-to-skin and watching parents, um, their faces, for the first time they get to hold their baby. Um, it's just, it, it's, there's a lot of rewards and benefits in the, uh, to a career within the NICU. Um, and then add into the, that the fact that um, there's a lot of medical advances and a lot of technology um, that has improved like infant survival rates. Um, and even though working in the NICU at times can be heartbreaking, um, I think it's really rewarding and it's probably one of the most interesting units to work on. Um, these little humans are the best patients. 
They are tenacious, they're strong, and they are so resilient. And I think that's just really amazing. And I can, I think a lot of us that work in the NICU can actually say that we've witnessed miracles. I always say that the NICU is the best kept secret in any hospital. It's the best place Mm -hmm. to work. Um, What we see and what we do every day is quite amazing. Yes, it is. Like I said, I love respiratory. Um, We rely on them so heavily on our unit and all of their knowledge and their expertise. um, You know, I'm always seeking them out to help me with everything. And, you know, I think you shared amazing tips and ways that we can improve with collaboration. Um, And, you know, we're all here for the babies, right? And we're all here to improve outcomes. So you need to utilize all of your resources. And if you're one of those units that are lucky enough to have respiratory therapy um, by your side 24-7, use them. Um, They have so much to offer. Your efforts do not go unnoticed. I thank you so much for for sharing all of your... um, knowledge with us today. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Make sure you never miss an episode of Nancast by subscribing now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks for your support and letting us into your ears. Have a great day.